All right, podcast listeners, we're fucking back. Um, I don't know what episode this is, as usual. Um, <laughs> doesn't really matter. I'll figure that out later. Uh, but today I have uh, my old friend Mike Maxwell in the studio. Uh, thanks for coming, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a long time coming, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that later. Yeah. But I was on Mike's podcast two or three times many, many years ago. And uh, it's a trip to kind of come full circle, and he's on mine now. <laughs> yeah, I think it was between 2010 and 2015. That you did yours? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. This one hasn't even been gone for a year yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's all good. So I like to gear the podcast towards young uh, artists types that are trying to figure out how to make it as an artist and how to get started and um you know it's kind of it's not really something they even teach in art school you know they right. teach you how to make stuff but not really how to like make the steps to get yourself to a place where you're paying the rent by just drawing what you want you know right you have to have a the, some type of mentor situation or just even like the awareness that it's possible so right right okay. Totally. So let's go back. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in the East County part of San Diego, El Cajon, which is probably like maybe the least artistically cultural city to grow up in, which is maybe kind of perfect. In the, in right? the area. In the area. Of all the neighborhoods I mean, or areas around San Diego, yeah. El Cajon's probably not the, the one where Yeah, the... it's just not something that's important, you know? Yeah. And that's okay, you know? It's just not a part of... What is important yeah, in Alcohol? God, probably just surviving. Probably living a middle class lifestyle. It's you know? a middle class place. It's working class homes. Hmm. You know, people who work forty hours a week and want to have the nuclear family and you know a big right. truck with like the balls hanging off the back and oh okay you know, yeah that, it up right. a little bit. that just painted a picture. <laughs> um, so yeah, but <laughs> but I think maybe that that there's something important to that. So. Even if you don't, like, maybe for people who continue a creative path, being in a place that isn't necessarily supportive right away is, like, a driver. Because yeah. you're like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here because this doesn't suit anything around me. And well, well, maybe sure. work harder. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly, like, in Albuquerque, there wasn't much to do. Yeah. You know? So like, some I, kids would make art. Some kids would do drugs. A lot of kids skated. A lot of kids made music. And you that's know, what, yeah, you, you same figure thing. out your outlet. Yeah, same But sometimes thing. the isolation can uh, kind of give you the time to focus your efforts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I made art my whole life, but like I, I, I befriended a couple kids that were doing graffiti and like a couple people who just showed me a little bit different outlet for the work that I was already doing for like, you know, my whole teenage life and beyond. And... I kind of got allowed, like, I got the opportunity to see a different side of things from an art path than I would have. When, when, so, how old were you when that happened? It probably somewhere between, like, between thirteen and sixteen, maybe. You know, I think like, that's the usual story, right? Like, I, you know, I grew up. My best friend, I was at his house all the time. Grew up in South Bay, so we were in Lamita Village. I'm seeing like old, like cholo graffiti. And like cool murals and shit. Like what year is it? God. So if I was twenty six years ago. 
What year would that have been? Uh, That's uh, 90s. So oh. we're looking at like early 90s? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm seeing Somewhere a lot of... 90s, which would have been a great time to be seeing. Yeah. And it was graffiti super prevalent. hip-hop graffiti. I started riding that. the trolley line. So oh, okay. I'm riding from El Cajon in San Diego. to downtown okay. in San Diego. That's when I started coming to San Diego as a graffiti writer and painting along the train lines. Yeah, so that that was, I huh. mean, at the beginning, so that was that was yeah. my view. That's cool. And I had, you know, I had always thought about being like uh, like Sunday comic illustrator. Like, that's oh, how okay. I saw, like, so I learned to paint. My grandfather was like a landscape Bob Ross style painter. And I was cool. like, okay, people do this shit. Like, yeah, he yeah. has his little studio. He paints every day. Sure, a lot of people, people do. People are buying it. But yeah. I didn't conceptually understand it as a profession, like a full-time thing. Uh, you know, it didn't look like that to me. So I felt like I had to take some other, exactly. uh, some other route. But then I started, see, like, riding these trolley lines. You know, I'm seeing all this stuff, like... Who the fuck is coming out here and painting? Like, I'm already really interested. And around that time, Tower Records, which was what I call the internet of the day, had all of the graffiti magazines from Europe, from up north, like everywhere. This is another thing that comes up a lot, Tower. Because Tower was like the only distributor for independent underground publications like graffiti magazines which they had a whole section they of. would be there would be like 16 options to choose from exactly. so from all over the world i got yeah, to they used it. to buy stuff for me too mm-hmm. my old uh, skulls pressings yeah no that's a that that's a thing that's a big deal like i've said in past podcasts how important this uh magazine shop in albuquerque was to my evolution i'd go there every saturday and i'd go through all the magazines that looked interesting to me and yep. the owner of the place didn't care and I might buy one or two here and yeah. there. When I was in college, I bought a lot more. Um, but again, pre-internet, that was uh, th- those places were super. super that was a collection. Enough. Every week, we would go in there, grab yeah. one, whichever one we could get for like five bucks. Yeah, you know, and kind of like a music magazine where you start to fan out and you learn the backstories a little bit. Yes. But with the graffiti's magazines too, you're like, oh, there's that person again. There's that uh-huh. word again. Especially if they're coming from a particular you know, part region of the country or the globe, yeah. you know, you're going to see the people who were kind of shining in those I feel like spaces. a lot of those magazines would break it up by city, too. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, here's what Seattle has to re- represent with, yeah. and it would be this spread with a bunch of dope shit, right. you know, and here's, you know, Albuquerque, here's San Francisco. And I think, I think seeing that beyond, like, fueling my sort of anti-authoritarian, like, just do what the fuck you want spirit... It also... Where did that come from? That spirit? Yeah, I mean, not everybody has that spirit. You know what I mean? Like, was there something that happened when you were a kid that was just like, you know what, fuck the police. Well, it's interesting. (laughs) You know, it's hard to say because I I was just thinking about this recently, too. Like, how, how influential certain things in our lives can be and how they sort of predict what our future will be or even what our opinions might be on things. Right. And I I had this contrast of when I was a child, like I have drawings from when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I have this one drawing of Saddam Hussein, but as a skull face and a noose around his neck and like his like his spine hanging down below the noose, which is weird and prophetic kind of since he got hung. Um, well, but how old were you when you did that? I must. I was under ten, 
sure. So I started to think. I was like, what makes a 10-year-old or around someone, yeah. a young man, like, draw something like this? This isn't something mm-hmm. that would be, like, my own. Like, I had to see something. I had to be the influenced news. by something. Sure. And I was like, okay, so that could, like, because my opinions are so different now, like, okay, mm-hmm. so you were influenced by something. You know, mm-hmm. you're a child, so... It, Granted, I'm an adult now. Yeah, But yeah. maybe some of those things continue. So, like, in high school, I, I just posted, I have the copy of 1984 that I read in high school. Oh, wow. And, you know, I must have... book by George Orwell, right? Yeah. Yeah. I must have been 14. Yeah. And I guess somewhere around, there, there's a correlation between, like, I, I thought about it, I was like, you know, I read that book, I'm like, I wonder what kind of mistrust that helped breed into me for At 14 future. you read that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right? huge. Like, to, to see authority figures in that nefarious role, I was like, yeah, maybe everybody's fucked. And I kind of ignorantly thought I was smarter than everybody, too, you know, as a dumb, like a dumbass fucking kid. So I, I started to think, like, okay, what... How, how did that influence some of my roles? And not only that, but I was reading Hunter S. Thompson and Kerouac at, like, right around the same time, wow. too. Wow. So, again, like, anti-authoritarian, do what yeah. the fuck you want, make your own choices, life is short, whatever. When you were a kid. It was a kid. A sponge. So, yeah, it just absorbed the books, it. the books I read at the same time really affected how I think about the world. Like, To, to Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like that yeah. dumb little book. Like, yeah, it affected me as a kid, and and affected the way I understand morality and race issues and stuff to this yeah. day. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, that stuff sticks, and it, no, it, it, it guides opinions. I also think that there was something that happened at that time period of um, defying my parents. Also, I feel like that's one natural. Maybe the first step of being anti-authoritarian is defy those that thing that right. And, and not only that, sometimes shortly after there, like, atheism started to creep in. So mm. it's like, defy your parents. Defy your definition of God. Then you could be like, everything else can suck it, you know? But well, at the same time... yourself, right? I right. feel like religious stuff in some ways is kind of put on us as kids as a yeah. moral set of values, mm-hmm. right? To True. live by. And then at a certain point, you're like, oh, this is bullshit, and then you decide whether or not to re- maintain a moral life based on those principles or, or not. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? That's, yeah. yeah. Some kids don't. Some I have do. this idea of like uh, altruistic atheism or even mm. like an altruistic anarchism hmm. of like a total self-governance that's not re- responsible or responsible to a governance of even metaphysical... Well. That's how, uh, but that's how we were, I feel like, most of our history as a species. We lived in smaller, manageable tribes of less than 100, in which case, yeah, I mean, the whole dynamic of things changes. You don't need a government, per se, if you know everybody's name. And right, yeah. Did you ever read The Tipping Point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Malcolm so, Gladwell? Yeah, it was like, what was the magic number he came up with? Like 120? Oh, if you I'm not get sure. a company to 120 employees, his recommendation was to break it in half and let it build again until they're both 120 again and then break them up again. Huh. Because there's a biological thing in us, um, in our brains, where we can recognize the faces and names of about 120 people. Okay. Right? But once it gets beyond that, we go and we switch modes and you go into like city mode. Uh-huh. Where you're like in New York City and you're not really interacting with anybody, even though you're saturated in humanity. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 everybody automatically turns into a stranger. And if you're in some like, type of corporation, like maybe, or even if you're like in a small if, community, community. Like if communes get bigger than 120, they're kind of doomed. Yeah, that's when they start fucking each other's wives too much and... Or, or, or it just gets too complicated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's, there's not as much... Uh, I feel like there's not as much... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like camaraderie or... It's, mm, accountability. Sure. And we see that in groups all the time. Like, you know, I feel like that's a big part of violence, like in a city where there can be this... You can just be uh, attacked at random. And it's very hard to pinpoint who did it if it was really a random person. Right. Like, I've gotten uh, robbed at gunpoint, and it was very hard for me to ID anybody. You know what I mean? It just yeah. happens so fast. And not and only that, the like, nature of that adrenaline um, rush. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But if you've got a community of, you know, 120 or less, you know, it's pr- you probably know who jumped you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably right. know. You can probably narrow right. it down in just five minutes and be like, that was motherfucking Billy. That was <laughs> yeah. fucking Billy in a hood. Yeah. That motherfucker. Yeah, I'm going to get him. Yeah. Which brings up some interesting thoughts about privacy, too, like what we were listening to the other day. Like, in that in that sense, like, the vast numbers create some overbearing sense of privacy to where humans believe they can act in any way that they decide because they're almost uh, invisible, in a sense. Like... Yeah, <clears throat> it can allow for terrible behavior, and that's mm-hmm. why we see riots and groups of people like the way people behave. Oh, mob rules in a mob. Yeah, it's yeah. it's that's almost ancient. like we change. Yeah, that's we, super ancient. Uh huh. We change back into some animalistic form and sure. are willing to attack. Sure, sure. I feel like on some level, uh, sports is the thing that kind of quells that uh, that tribal uh, part of us that is down to war you know it's like we can live it out through our local sports teams you know which i think is bullshit and our politics too at this point you know what i mean yeah well yeah right in a sense totally totally but i don't think that that i think that's a there's a false sense to that because they're not actually getting out the physical energies of battle they're just living through some other entity yeah. Like letting the, it feeds the emotional aspect of that, right? Yeah. That's why I think jujitsu is such a great practice. It allows mm-hmm. you to exert some physical energies that are like you're attacking somebody. Maximum but output. You are doing it in a controlled environment that you, you're not even actually trying to hurt somebody. Right. But it's almost like the brain doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Like the brain is like, okay, here is the thing where I needed to be aggressive and. Now I've released that, and that could be calm and yeah. relaxed. Right. And, you know, that's not for everybody, of course. Like, sure. Some people probably don't have aggressive energies. But for yeah. for a lot of men and women, I yeah. think it it soothes a bunch of those, like, old ape energies. Sure. Yeah. That's when I go uh, bicycle my ass off until I'm fucking exhausted. For Just sure. As fast as I can, especially in traffic. <laughs> that clears my mind pretty quick. <laughs> Good times. Good times. So, did you do well in public school? No, I did really bad. Um, um, well, 
early on, like I I was in like this whatever would be like the gifted programs. I was too. Whatever. Yep. Yep. I I scored well on tests or something as I a did young too. as a child. And yep. I mean, I was reading before I even started school, so it was mm. like I already had uh, attachment to language well before. I, like my peers, in a sense, sure. uh, at least from what I'm told, I don't fucking remember, but that's yeah, what Mom Duke says. Sure. Um, but I think right around, you know, I mean, right around the time I started smoking weed and drinking and when was like, that? like 12, 13, oh, junior high, junior <laughs> okay. high. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, and that's really, you know, the start of rebellion, like finding punk that's rock That's funny. Music. You started early. You started drinking and smoking and that's reading Kerouac. I, it's like so 13. weird. Yeah. Well, I always felt like I was an adult early, and that's partly due to I my I read upbringing. adult books, too. I get that. I understand that. Even, even like, in my household, a sort of sense of feeling like I needed to be the adult because of, like, mm. certain chaoses that were oh, going okay. around, you know? Okay, yeah. And so I think I just kind of, like, moved into that early. And it's yeah. funny. It's, like, a lot of friends who, like, went hard once they went to college and, like, mm. partied hard. By that time, I was like... I already done this shit. Like I'm cool. Like I could just have a couple beers and not have. I to had a lot of skater friends out. that were that way. Maniacs when they were teenagers. When I kind of didn't know them. Yeah. And then they were chill in college. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You just you kind of get that stuff out early, and you know I'm not like saying that that's a great idea. Maybe it's it's probably better for your brain ah, to whatever. wait till later. But yeah. You know, for me, that's just yeah, what agreed. worked. <laughs> that's you know? probably the better. You know, I ate acid. Uh, <clears throat> 15 maybe and, sure i think you know, that's so pretty normal everything around it's there around. everything around there plus my early upbringing like lent me towards a like path of that's different than i guess the majority of society sure and you know there could be a million fucking things that lead people to that path you know like right. i drew my whole life it 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 calmed me it soothed me like it's something that i've never got bored of like, it's always something I want to do, so it would make sense. Like, it's funny, like, talk, like, if, like, advice to young artists is, like, like, how much do you want to do this? Do you just think it's fucking cool? Like, do you see it now? Like, right. especially young people now, do you just see what you see on Instagram and think that this shit is badass and you're going to get paid? Like, <laughs> it's a fucking grind. And yeah. I, what I tell young artists is, like, you have a scale. And on one side is the joy that you get from creating whatever it is that you do, right? Yeah. On the other side is suffering. Yeah. And you have to decide, like, what level of suffering is lighter than the joy that you get for creating. For me, I give up everything. Like, sure. it means that much. Over, sure. Even after an entire lifetime. And 20 years of doing it professionally. Yeah. Like, it's... I, I never don't want to do it. And the, even the concept of, like, jumping into a normal society 9 to 5 doesn't even seem like real life to me at this point. Like, it doesn't even seem like did implausible. You, did you ever have to have a 9 to 5? Yeah. I mean, I worked, like, I dropped out my senior year and just did homeschool and finished in, like, two months what would have taken six months. Yeah. And just started to work. Okay. And so between, and you know, just odd jobs, like, like, and I was working in high school too, like 
worked at the fucking Golden Corral. I've washed yeah. dishes. I've, I've worked oh, in kitchens. Similar. I did too. I've worked in motorcycle warehouses where I just am like washing the bikes and pushing them and fucking uh-huh. the whole thing. And um, I've also worked in the jujitsu community too. Like sure. I teach and, and do that. But um, but after, after 22, that was it. I was, I mean, I did a short tattoo apprenticeship. With yeah. the idea that I was going to tattoo, and I just yeah. hated being in the fucking tattoo shop. Yeah. Like... It's not for everybody. No. And, and, you know, granted, I think I was young, and I think my my viewpoint was very narrow and naive, um, but I had a very strong thought at the time that, especially San Diego 2000, like was a pretty big mecca of tattooing, you know, like there was a lot of really heavy hitters and people who were really talented, you know, and for sure. And I saw, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a little fish in a big pond and I'm going to be doing like random walk-in tattoos. Very narrow viewpoint. Okay. Like, but just that's how it looked, you know, that, that's how. It's interesting though. Tattooing was different then. Uh Uh-huh. Like I'm thinking now at 2019, if you wanted to enter the tattoo market, there's a ton more freedom in how you're able to navigate that world. Yeah. You know what I mean? You could yeah. just do it at home. You wouldn't have to work in a shop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, again. There's so much variation in how totally. people work in the tattoo field these days. Yeah. But even just 19 years ago, it, it, it was a different world. Yeah. And, and that's around the time that I started. And I feel like... I feel like I caught the end of, like, the tough guy shops. Yes. And I don't know. Maybe that still exists, but I don't see it very often anymore. No. Like, there's, there's a vibe. There's, like, a tough guy vibe or whatever, like a machismo that exists sometimes. No, that's but, the thing. The whole custom tattoo uh, thing was, uh, to me, uh, you know, like a, an early 90s thing. You know? The whole idea that you could come in and... You know, have an idea based on a dream or something, (laughs) you know, but you can articulate what the picture looks like and they'll draw it up for you, you know? I Uh mean, Ed Hardy was really the guy that pioneered that whole idea of walking in with an idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? And before that, everything flashed. You had to pick off the wall. If it's not on the wall, we don't do it. Yeah. Other than maybe names. Right, you know, yeah. They always they always do book. lettering and stuff, you yeah. know. But at a lot of the those newer shops, you know, there'd be fine art on the wall that were full color renderings of tattoo ideas, and right. you know, ballsy clients would be like, "Hey, I'll put that on me." Yeah, and it kind of just goes from there. So they were very, very different. And things, that's a, yeah, you know? and that's the world that you came in on. Yeah, you know, and and not era. only that, but the people who I apprenticed under mm-hmm. had the generation before that, which I would argue is an even little tougher. Oh no, they are. Know? That's yeah. the thing. As you go back further and further, yeah, like Sailor Jerry was a real swearing racist son of a bitch, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. you know, and it's mellowed out substantially. Yeah, you know, but you're you're still gonna find that I. I always said that tattooing is a business where the client is coming in thinking they might have to deal with an asshole. <laughs> kind of like going to a garage to get your car fixed. Uh-huh. You they might spin some, some bullshit and overcharge you. <laughs> yeah. You know. You, you know. Yeah. It's you know for better or worse. You know what I mean. But I think nowadays it's harder to get away with being an asshole, grumpy 
motherfucker, you know, when the client knows, oh, well, the guy down the street is just as good as you and he's really nice. Right. You yeah. Know, you know, yeah. I remember, I remember know. that transition. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I saw um, Aaron Delavadova the other day, actually oh, yeah. at the Rogan show, and we had a cool. time to shoot and shoot the shit a little bit. And I told him, I was like, you know, when this shot opened up and I started coming here, I felt like there was something different happening. And it like it felt like a more welcoming place. It felt like an artistic environment. It didn't feel like you were gonna get maybe get stabbed. No. Or like some dude Whereas was gonna try to get on your girl. Down in that same neighborhood back then, there was a, it was a little shady. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And you know, Guru anywhere Guru was a, a little oasis. Among yeah, I, the, I've, the madness. And, you know, I'm sure that shift occurred all over the place. But sure. I remember, you know, for the San Diego scene, I remember that being a, a like a catalyst. Yeah, and I see it now in like the generations of tattoo artists who even came out of that early shop, how they've built their shops and they're applying some of those same things. Whether they like it's learned or not, and maybe it's just what the culture is now. But sure. I, yeah. I, that narrowed my view at that as a young man. I was mm. like, this seems like, oh, I have to go beat up the homeless guy out front, or I'm gonna have to fight this 300 pound dude. Like yeah. this sucks. So fuck all that. Like I would rather be in my studio painting, and everybody can go fuck themselves. Right. But that was important for me. Mm. So even though it was what felt negative at the time, and maybe a narrow, ignorant viewpoint at at that particular moment in my life it taught that year of apprenticeship taught me a shitload about art Mm. it taught me a shitload about how to make some things how to adapt how to how to deal with clients it taught it taught me so much that i now apply to my art world practice so it was almost can you go into specifics about like what kinds of things like did you learn you know like like for me The uh, way of developing a working drawing on tracing paper and starting super rough and then you put another piece of tracing paper over the top of that and you do a more refined version and Mm -hmm. you put another one over top of that and you might do the line drawing that you show the client, which I didn't really have that procedure uh, taught to me. But as soon as I started tattooing, that was just, you know, here's how we do it. That's what all the layout stuff, all the like, if you don't know how to draw something, here's how you fucking find an image and trace it and like make it apply to what oh, you're right. doing. An important thing, like, like, like being able to draw anything. Yeah, people like the idea that like anything is drawable is ridiculous. Yes. Like I could sit and draw faces all day and I could sit and draw anything. But if you're, here's something important. If you're in a tattoo shop and something that I've applied now to my art practice, like you only have a certain amount of time in your day. You only have a certain amount of energy to expend. Along the way, you have to find your own paths to uh, make the process quicker, more efficient, and more cost-effective. Sometimes if you have to spend 10 hours to make a perfect drawing that you can make in an hour... That's something I learned in the tattoo shop. Like, I, I watched all those guys produce for a year. And maybe it wasn't the best drawings or, like, the best tattoos or whatever, but I watched the work ethic and how they got done what they needed to get done. And to me, that made a lot of sense in applying new things to mm-hmm. my work and expanding my tool belt, in a sense. 
you know? No, like, that's an important point. Get it finished. Yeah. Like, you time know? is an essence. In a tattoo situation, like, yeah, you've got a client coming in the next day. you got to get that drawing done. Yeah. You and know what I mean? If you tell somebody to make a drawing in a day, they think they would be able to do that. Yeah. And it, the reality is, is that it could be a lot more difficult. And you can't spend, you don't have time to spend three, four days working on a drawing. But yeah. even what you even what you're saying, like the way to like for me, it was always like, okay, everything has to be perfect right away. Mm. Like allowing yourself roughness to to build up. That's even something I'm still learning. Like as I've done things repetitively, how I am like I could like I've painted this. For instance, I do these jujitsu port like master portraits right. for these gyms, and I've yeah, painted them nice. fucking 20 times, yeah. and they keep getting better. It's sure. the same. I have the same line drawing for each of them. That's kind of the nature of they, portrait work too. You right. Get better at it the more but you do it. It's so. But even applied to anything like any other type of illustrative work, it's like you could do something over and over, and you think it's going to be the same, and you just get better. You know. So. No, I mean I can see that. I mean I haven't changed the way that I do. Uh, drawings of women really at all in decades you know but like I can tell from what era they are uh-huh. from yeah yeah, yeah. me too I me do too. think they have gotten a little bit better I don't know how it's weird right but there's like more of the personality comes through yeah you know like you start to pick different things up and that's so weird right because it feels like the same line right like yeah. you're like I'm doing I'm drawing the eyes I'm drawing the nose I'm drawing the mouth I'm drawing the jawline like but somehow it's getting more somehow, connected. There's like more magic coming through in the yeah, eyes. Yeah, you start. Well, here's the thing. I think you start like to the see Mona more. Lisa. You know, there's something about the eyes. You know, and it's just like, how the heck is there so much personality in this two-dimensional yeah. thing? You know, yeah. I think as as the viewer trying, as the artist trying to replicate something, you see further. You see mm. more detail. You see more things that change. But mm. also, you'd maybe take more risks. You're like, okay, I got that part down. What, how can I... And it's also something... That's uh, been my attitude the whole time. As I master something, I, I try to switch it up a little bit. It's certainly been the, how I approach graffiti work. Right, especially you know? if you get bored. Yeah, that's just it. I kind of get bored, and I'm like, ah, I should just do something completely fucking different, even yeah. if it's ugly for a while. And you know that's a big thing for people who are working all the time. I and I don't know. I don't know how it is. I can only know my own experience. Yeah. But the more I work on something, the more I have to like switch it up and do something different after a period of time. Yeah. Like like right now, I'm getting ready for a show, and I could very well break it up into three parts and be like, "This is three artists." Hmm. You know, the the ties are there. Yeah. But. I could probably trick people hmm. if I wanted to, but um, like. What do you mean? You like three different styles of work, or in a way, in a sense, yeah, yeah. Uh, I see. Like three variations, and th- what that is, yeah. it's just it's you know it's about a year and a half worth of work. Yeah. And I just go through different phases. I get yeah. I have different emotional phases. Yeah. Like, and sometimes I'm no. I, I want to be tight and I want to make way. clean like yeah. tight portraiture. Then sometimes I just want to make it sloppy and ugly. Sometimes I just want to do abstraction. And that's just based... Sometimes I just want to do black and white. Right. Sometimes I want to just do bright, you know, psychedelic uh, colors. I think that's what, you know, like how you display the work in the gallery. You know, you put them together. Yeah, there's a way... Or not. Depending I've, on how you feel about how it flowed. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I definitely depends. puzzle it together to, like, show the... 
the connection in display. But I like, if I if I, I wanted like to get it, weird, I like that when artists will just kind of put up, yeah, like just simply put up the 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 last year's worth of work. That's what it is. And it's whatever, a timeline. Whatever the hell it is. Yeah. And maybe it's a sculpture. Maybe things like a fucking newspaper that you painted on. One thing's a roller skate. <laughs> yeah. Room, yeah. You know, it's just like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what, for me, that's what a good show is. You know, I I appreciate the idea of something themed that fits a, like there's a cohesive theme throughout. I've done shows like that, actually. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. Not just drawings. Drawings and paintings. But I think as as an artist who's doing stuff that it's like a metaphorical journal, in a sense. Yes. It's so hidden in mythology and symbology that it would, it's never really available to any viewer but myself. Yeah. Um, I, or those of us that are tight enough with you that know the backstories. Right. Yeah. 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 Like it can make a connection to the people who know and care about me. Sure. But I want that thing to be, that's what I want it to be a storyline. Yeah. You know, like I'm okay with it and I'm okay with if it, if it contradicts itself, because yeah. life is like that, right? You know, and I think being able to show in that fashion is uh, a little more beneficial for somebody like me. But you know, that's just me. Like anybody, you know, it yeah, doesn't really matter. Did you end up going to like art school? No, um, like r- I guess nineteen to twenty-one, I worked at Black Market with oh. Shepard and Dave. Dave Kinsey. Yeah. Yeah, Shepard and Ferry and Dave Kinsey had a design agency called Black Market in downtown San Diego. Yeah. From what year? So I I worked 99 to just before, like probably into just pre 9-11, I guess. Maybe until that summer of 2001. Yeah. um, Before they moved to L.A. Right. And. Really, that I you know, like I was already doing stuff out on the street. We kind of like, I think I had maybe had done like one of the the snipe jobs, which I wonder if oh, people okay. still get paid for that shit. Like yeah. that was such a fucking godsend. Like yeah. back then, sure. you get paid a dollar a poster. Right. You get a stack of like fucking three fifty or five hundred. Bunch of our friends did that. And just smash yeah. for a night and get yeah. paid. Right. We had to use the little like the disposable cameras to right. like take right. pictures of thirty five of them. Yep. Godsend. So like we, I, I met them through doing stuff here in San Diego, and it, I mean, the, it's funny. I just posted this newspaper article from back then, and there was a, a guy or girl who knows who used to go around the city, and hang up potatoes and bananas, would tie a knot around them like people do, like shoes, and toss them up onto the light poles. <laughs> potatoes and bananas. And they would sit up there and then oh, rot, and rot, oh, and rot, rot and rot and rot and then fall out. Wow, funny. Um. And it was a really super weird, like, 98-99 in San Diego was, like, super creative. Everybody had a, like, do-it-yourself thing. Downtown was not what downtown is now, which is normal. Um, No, I remember I was visiting back then. Yeah, it just had, like, like every... You know what's funny is I think back now, I was like, oh, yeah, every corner had a partition because all of these buildings were coming. Right. But every partition was painted. Yeah. And... 
the people in the city weren't really sure what was going on. Like, they knew they hated graffiti, obviously. Tagging had they hated a tag, terrible yeah. reputation with the uh, news media. But people they started to, to adapt it. and do some different things that kind of what they didn't get. It's the get. beginning of what, where we're at now, where you right. can kind of go out on a Sunday and people think it's cool to see people painting graffiti yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think that the term street art really was used in any type of prevalence at the time. Not at that point, I guess. And so there, there was a ton of people doing cool shit, which was like yeah. such a huge like inspiration and drive to, to well, push. Well, especially Shepard and Dave Kinsey. They were crushing they were doing it. their posters and things, and they were everywhere. Killing They were it, bombing yeah. just as hard as graffiti writers, and they were hanging out with a lot of graffiti writers in some cases, you know, depending yeah. on where, what city they were in. Yeah. Because often the writers knew... Oh, you have a ladder? Oh, well, you could get up on this. I, yeah. I could never get up on. Oh, you're down to jump fences? Okay, well, you could get this and this, you know? Yeah. yeah. Totally. And a new world opens up. And so I ended right. up becoming Shepard's assistant for those two years. And um, that was really my art school. Yeah. Like, I just happened to stumble upon, just because of being in a similar culture. Uh, he needed help. What's the assistant? Right. Dude? He knows what's up. Right? Well, and He's it, safe. It just allowed me... It He's allowed, not square. All it did was allow yeah. me to see, okay, here's the illustrative side of things. Here's right. how I can use my design and get paid from corporate America right. when I need to get that cash. Yep. Here's also the gallery scene, which I was pretty unaware of at the time. Sure. Like, all I knew was, like, museums. I was like, oh, you got to be old and dead to be showing your work. Because, yeah. again, East County, not a lot of... I think a lot of that comes from art schools. Art schools are really grooming young people to work in galleries and museums. You know, if you don't go through that system, it can be a little trickier. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I didn't have any of those contacts, but that allowed it right there in in a pretty significant way with those guys tied in already. And it it just showed me a, a path. That was really the path that I was able to see that oh, I can, all the shit that I make and have been making, like every doodle that I've just been doing in the kitchen, oh, there is a market for this place, for this shit. You know, like this is doable. Right. And I ended up getting my first show with them, with Modart. Okay. So it was like, you know, it's, for me, the connections. You know, I was a, you know, I was twenty. Yeah. I was like, oh, here is Ed Templeton. I think right. there's Mark Gonzalez. Like, right. You know, like all these people who I've grown up watching, and it was like, been you know, of course, the artists who I'm seeing now working in this environment. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And you know, I was getting the juxtapose magazines when I was visiting right. Tower. Yep. You know, so I was flipping through that shit, like going like, was oh, cool right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So like. All those things allowed me to know that there was a path. Yeah. It didn't give me the formula on how to make, how, like, how to there make was, There isn't really a formula. Right. Everybody has to have their own. Like you, Unless, of course, you kind of go through art school and play that game. Right. You and, but you have to have people, like, put things on a plate for you in, in that sense. Kind of. Maybe that's that, there's nothing wrong with that. Like If, if you it have, works good enough, I feel like they do. I feel like that's what they always did with Barry McGee. Because he just went right from the Art Institute right into, like, Yerba Buena. Like, yeah, big, right. Big shows yeah. all over yeah, the place. Yeah, right into major institutions. Continued to do that. But yeah. I feel like they kind of 
fast-tracked him. It was just like, yeah, well, it. I mean, and he was open to working within that system. And there's always um, going to be, like, a teacher's pet or somebody who is an outlier, right? Somebody who shines was. above the rest of the... There were a few people from that era and even that yeah, school sure. that, that were outliers. And, outliers. and even then, that was a huge early influence, too. And that yeah. it took, you know, it took getting to know those guys at Black Market... I already had like a fascination and love for San Francisco due to my like a fascination with Kerouac, right? Uh, so right. I already had a really romanticized version and it had been just dying to go there. Learning that there's this school of artists who are doing things that feel similar to what I've done since I was a kid, like also Same with influences. the do-it-yourself ethic, the yeah. like, hey, we could bond together, we could do this shit on our own, we could do what we want. That yeah. idea was so romantic and still is to this day to me yeah. that I'll give up some of the comforts of, uh, you know, uh, that nuclear family life or like, yeah, I'll I'll be hungry for a day if I if that's a necessity, you know, like that's sure. how far I'm willing to go. No, well, and I think that's uh, something people should realize. <laughs> You know, it can, yes. get, it can get like that. Even yeah. for myself, it can get to the point sometimes where I have $100 after I pay the rent. It's not a straight and line. it's just like, oh, shit, how the fuck? Oh, I better hustle and I better make some phone calls because yeah. I got some checks coming. And it's like, where yeah. the fuck they at? Like, I need them right now. Like, that fire under the ass. Yeah. No, but that, that also then, you start to manage that and have projects ongoing. It's not like you just do a project and wait sure. for a check and then sit on your ass until you have to get another job. You just yeah. like try to keep working. There as is a funny thing I've though. Kept working, it's all worked out. Like after projects, that sort of like hangover of after like a big project where you just yeah. kind of want to veg out for a little bit. I know that the drive well, it's always good comes to back. take a break when you can. And I so see, much, yeah. You know? But again, sometimes there are drawing practices our break. <laughs> exactly you know what I mean that's so it's kind of funny like oh what am I going to do go on vacation and sit there and wish I was drawing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, no I'm that's good. what I was thinking the other day I was like okay I'm going to procrastinate by doing the thing like I'm going to draw and like I almost beat myself up because I'm like I'm going to go draw instead yeah. of like do the painting work that I need to do today yeah it's like you're still being creative but you know you have a hierarchy of like what shit needs a to be done. Priority list. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So a lot of times it's like, go fuck yourself. Priorities. I'm gonna do what I want. Well, I mean, <laughs> but that's the, that's like the end game. You know, mm-hmm. to me, it's like when I don't have any freelance work. Because to me, all the the freelance work always takes priority. Yeah. You know, get it done. Unless there's, I, they don't need it for a long fucking time, and then I'll, you know. But even then, I usually just get shit done. Yeah. I, you know, I always was that kid that would just like do the homework for the next day, you know, the day before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, just, uh, you know, not like like in math class, I remember the teachers would always assign us the same, uh, you know, question numbers from each section. And so if I understood it by reading in the, the book, like what the lesson was yeah. about division or fractions or whatever, I would just keep on trucking. And yeah. sometimes, you know, just sitting in class, I would do like a week's worth of homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just in the flow of it, you know, and then draw. And they'd be like, Michael, what are you doing? Are you paying attention? Are you drawing again? And they'd be <laughs> like, yeah. And they're like, God damn it. I'm like, but I got the homework done till Friday. And I'm like, 
you need to pay attention to me. And I'm like, no, I just, I get, I get it, you know. I remember the math teacher even being like, well, why don't you come up here and teach the class? And I did. And I was like, and I was trying to be low-key about it. I wasn't trying to be be snipey. No, but the kids were laughing their asses off. And were like, he's better than you are. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I'd get in trouble for shit like that. For, like, being a good student. But then you're like, all right, well, I got this. Like, I'm going to do my own (laughs) thing now. Like, fuck rules and fuck paying attention to y'all. Like, I don't need this shit. Yeah. I think that's there's something about the creative mind that kind of takes that pathway. Like almost everybody who I know that feels creative. Well, that's the thing though, right? Because then there's the other kids that are hella creative but can't do math and just sit there and fucking draw and don't pay attention and they're getting F's and the teacher's really frustrated. Yeah. You know, but we're like the A students that are like not paying attention. Right. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. That's got to be frustrating on a different level. Or even, you know, like I I feel like there's a lot of people who are intelligent who just defy even doing the work because they feel like maybe they're, yeah, they're above it. Right. Yeah. Ego. Yeah. Ego is that, you know, intellectual egotism. Yeah. You're boring me with this bullshit. Like, me something substantial to read but there's something about that <laughs> that mindset what the right? fuck <laughs> there has to be something that lends people to like lead a creative life in that way yeah yeah you, you almost have to have some defying aspects to because you know like art i mean and you know maybe kids are taught different but it's not you know i think in most society it's not taught as like something that is a potential job everyone takes art classes but it's never considered a, no like it, a it's a real particular uh, parent that you know can accept when a kid comes and, and they're done with high school and they're like what do you want to do and i'm like i want to be a painter <laughs> like, yeah. oh no yeah. i was having you to say doctor or lawyer or something you want to be a painter i feel really oh, lucky i fuck you know but really Maybe it'll work out. I mean, you know, maybe. Who knows? And if it doesn't, you're gonna fucking do something else anyway. So sure. why not? Why not give it a try? Right. I mean, I think early on, I would try. I would like to persuade people not to get into an art field. Just like, just get a job. Like, unless this is like what or, you have or, to yeah, do. Yeah, like even just in the arts, job. like uh, maybe you do graphic design, not painting. <laughs> you know, like yeah. maybe something a bit more, you know, um, reasonable. Yeah, it's not know. for it's not for everybody. You have, to, I think that, and you know, who knows? Maybe there's yeah. plenty of people who can go work a nine to five and continue a, an art career and be. Prevalent. I think for a lot of people, that's better. Like for a lot of people, like as soon as they make money from what they do as an artist, it kind of ruins it. Yeah. You know, are people who use artist therapy, it's like, no, nah, maybe they shouldn't sell that shit. Maybe they should just do it and tuck it away yeah. or destroy it and yeah. do something else. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those things where I feel like sometimes young artists feel compelled um, to participate in the gallery nonsense and all that shit when yeah. they're really not the kid for that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. just like, you don't have to fucking play that game. No, you don't. Yeah. I actually, I had somebody comment on my Instagram recently. Like, I had posted a, an old painting, and I was like, it felt as revelant today, like, looking at it as it mm-hmm. did 10 years ago when I mm-hmm. made it. Mm-hmm. And somebody commented, they're like, I'm, you know, like, I'm a terrible artist, I suck, whatever, but, like, I keep sketchbooks, and I, I saw an old drawing that gave me the same feeling. And I was like, 
fuck it. That's the shit. Like, that's what you're, you're looking for. Like, you could have the worst technique in the world, but if you get that little internal feeling by seeing stuff that you made 10 years ago and it drives you to create more, then you should certainly fucking do it. Because yeah. whatever that body bodily feeling is, whatever that emotional feeling is, like mm. it's valuable. And I, oh, I think if you can repeat right. that, even if you you're not a big fucking star, even if you know yeah. you just put your shit in a drawer and you're the only one that sees it, yeah. If you can look back at it and get some feeling that's special to you and feels good, yeah. or even maybe it like brings up old memories that don't feel so good. If you get something emotional from it, if it's sure. just not like push it aside. Then fucking yeah. do that shit. Yeah. Um, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be a career per se. Like, no, not at all. Yeah. No, that's just it. I think yeah. For some people, it really kind of can ruin it. <laughs> and for some people too, it can be more a matter of, uh, you, you know, like I've had plenty of friends that drew a lot in their free time and made a lot of great illustrations, and then met uh, some tattoo artists that befriended them and showed them the ropes. And then they have a way to use their skills as a tattooer, but they still go home and they do their fucking weird, you know, design art or whatever the fuck uh-huh, they do. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? But it gives them this way to uh, earn a living with those skills, even though they don't have to sell out like their personal yeah. shit so much if they don't want to. And at this point, there's so many opportunities in terms of what path you choose to take. Like, fucking brick-and-mortar galleries. I mean, I, I can't imagine they're going to die, but it definitely looks like a no, decline. It's a good that we're bringing that up. That's a dead, it's a dead paradigm to me. I think the thing for galleries now is creating a spectacle, almost like creating uh, Instagrammable moments or events that will be, you know, v- remembered in that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wrote down the other day, I don't want to see any art that's designed to take selfies in front of. But that's where I think it's coming to. Yeah. Or maybe even just more the event or the space is that, right? Yeah. And then the art is kind of the, you know, the icing on the cake. Yeah. Because again, like, uh, I, I don't know, maybe we're in that, I mean, I, I call the phase I'm in right now the post-gallery phase. Because I'm able to finish a drawing today, post it on Instagram, and sell it today, you know, and ship it tomorrow. Yeah. Or even today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, what uh, use do I have for a gallery at that point, you know? I mean, for me personally, at this point now, it's about maintaining friendships and, you know, having a place to present the work. Because if I draw it and I right. sell it right away, the general public will never see it. Right. There's still Only something important about displaying a, a large group of work together for people for who, people yeah, to I see. think, you know, people want to, I want to see originals sometimes. Yeah. You know, and not everybody can just pop into your favorite homie studio like I can and be right. like, what are you right. working on, dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I dig through your files? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. yeah, but it does seem like a gradual decline. I mean, there's less it's just and less. changing. Yeah. You know? It's just, uh, you know, and I think there's sometimes, um, like, I got a, a buddy that does work for a gallery that sells, um, like, Looney Tunes kind of art. Uh-huh. Like, art yeah. that has 
like old Registered cell animations. trademark characters. Yeah. No, like uh, there's like artists a doing, one. you know, art. There are, you know, oh, but including yes, Daffy yes. Duck, right? Yes, yes, or whatever, right? And tourists, I think, mostly buy that stuff, you know, as like they and that's where those galleries are kind of located, and those yeah. places to attract that kind of customer, where they're like, oh, five hundred bucks, and I'm supporting an artist, yeah. a local artist, and it's my favorite. It's fucking Bugs Bunny, fresh. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And the percentage that the artist gets is really, really low, you know. Um, but the shit sells. Yeah. And it's this yeah. motherfucker where you're like, man, I'm not really getting to do my thing, but I can't say no to an easy 1500 bucks, you know? And it's, yeah, I wonder how much weird, of that uh, is like a black hole for a lot of artists who, and, you know, I, I feel like there's... I think it, in the end, yeah, that's a, that's a dark hole to go down to, yeah. it, you know? Again, as long as you can kind of think of it as easy money and just yeah, if you're molding yourself, shit, you know, if you're molding yourself into that thing to because you're like, well, this is what pays versus what I want to do. Yeah, I feel like that's, that's a slippery a slope. That's a bummer. And I think that I think I, I think that there are artists who look at this career well, with but how, less. How much different would that be, say, than getting a sign painting job and you're not really a sign painter? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You there, know what it's I mean? almost Your like there's like, can you paint the sign yeah. for me? And I'm like, yeah, I know how to use one shot. I know how to lay up some lettering. Right, yeah, I can yeah. fucking do it for you. It's Jesus like where do you Christ. set the ethical measure of what's okay and what's, what's okay, not okay? What's not? It's got to be how much effort for how much you're getting paid or yeah. what whole or what kind of category it's putting you in by yeah. doing that yeah you know i mean a lot of my friends had no interest in working in streetwear and i fucking dove right in yeah <laughs> you I, know i mean there's plenty of things i didn't want to do but i went ahead and did them because yeah. like maybe brent needed to be paid that month and i had a certain skill that exactly. lent itself to something exactly. that maybe wasn't my like up to my ethical par, but I've always done little side job bullshit for friends like that. Yeah. Like designing logos and shit. There's uh -huh. just like that is not what I should be doing with my time. Right. Not to mention the fact I'm still doing it by hand. Like <laughs> you should be working with somebody that's on a pad. Right. That knows how to fucking use the pad really quickly and efficiently yeah. and you guys can go through a million different options like in seconds. Whereas yeah. for me it's like it's going to give me a while, and then if we find one we like, I'll finalize it. But if we change it, I'm going to have to redraw the fucking thing. Yep. You know, I'm just not the dude for that, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I think we, you know, you especially and me, like, right at the end of that generation that came from all hand-done design to Yeah, to well, you were just looking graphics. at that grid on the wall right next to you that I did today. I measured it out. It's like a lettering grid. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, I... Like the computer would do all that shit for you. Oh, no, that's right? the thing. <laughs> Except for the fact that, like, the computer, it can't, like, uh, basically it's for a postcard that's like one of those welcome to whatever city kind of yeah. postcard. And there's little vignettes in the letters, right? And so I could do that with a font or something, but it would look too fonty. Uh -huh. And all those old postcards were hand drawn. Yeah. And they and they were based on kind of a grid to give them a lot of open space in the letter forms to create the vignettes, uh -huh. you know? And I just knew like I can't fake that. I got to just draw it. I got to just get in there and do it like they did to make it look authentic like right. that. And there was a lot of decisions made 
after the grid was made, you know, once I started to figure out how the letters fit within the grid, it was like, oh, well, do I want it top heavy? Do I want it bottom heavy? Do I want to use angles in the letter forms? Do I want to keep everything straight? And it just, uh, I don't know. It just, uh, that whole process of hand doing it, um, it made me think about a lot more than if I had just done it on the computer. Yeah, and I wonder how if the like if if let's say our brain is a muscle, right? Like, yeah. how much are people losing by having something where it's like you can just type in the amount of space between each line and boom, 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 boom it's there. Yeah. Like, how much are you losing? Because I and I just had this thought recently of like comparing art making practice to game theory, right? <coughs> So I'm like, I'm trying to do something. I'm like, okay, if I do this, this painting is going to do A, B, or C. If A happens, I'm going to do A, B, or C. If B happens, I'm going to do this. And it's a, it's a huge problem solving, right? And within that problem solving, you're, if, if this analogy of our brain being a muscle is accurate, then you're strengthening it. Just by going through a process as what may seem mundane to most people, you're actually, it's like you're doing push-ups. You're like, you're doing mental push-ups. And not only that, but that mental push-up is going to apply to your creative strength. Mm. Right? Mm. And I wonder if there, if there is some loss. Or maybe it's the same, same muscle being worked even digitally. I don't know. But I feel, like, I feel like when you have the machine doing the thinking for you, it's got to be like you're doing like the push-ups on your knees. It's just doing you like, know? I guess what it's doing... It's like we know the old school methods. Like I measured all that shit out and I yeah. made sure it was square and, you know, I... Um, you have to think. There's there's something... Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to get into that really. Maybe even... And not only that, but even on some other level, like the difference between writing a note down on a piece of paper and writing the note in your phone. Yeah. Like, there's something about, like, actually applying something physical to a there's piece of paper. There's something to that, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Because, like, the computer would have just kind of... I could have just done the grid and the computer. And, uh-huh. um, you know, it's like the computer just skips a lot of steps, you know? Yeah. It's like if you just want to take a word that's eight inches wide and make it four inches wide, well, to do that by hand, man, you're going to have to redraw the whole thing over yep. again, you know, and cut all your measurements in half in the horizontal direction, whereas in the computer, you just, what is it, the fucking Apple T or something? <laughs> yeah, just hit it 50%. Just burp and just yeah. make it halfway, yeah. snap that shit, hitting the shift bar, right? Whatever. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's just it. And I think some of that... You know, I don't know. For me, it's a balance because even I'll take the lettering that I sketched from the grid and I'll I'll scan that, you know, yeah. and I'll still do a lot of the kind of finishing layout work in the computer. Um, but the final output will still just be done by hand. So yeah. as there is this balance to me. It's like, you know, I, I don't want to be... Uh, stuck on my old school ways if I feel like it's uh, hurting my efficiency. Right, because just like we were talking about before, like... It's a balance. Yeah, if you need extra time and that, like, let's say you saved an hour doing the grid in the computer and you Mm -hmm. applied that to something else, like... 
who's to say it's invaluable? Yeah. You know, but I, I guess that there's probably something about being older and like appreciating the old school. Like even in tattooing, like all the guys that use the, just the screens. That, you know, as soon as you're around young people that have only used the computer, you know, it's like you show them an old calligraphy pen. Right, that you had to dip in the ink. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, it looks like the calligraphy, the pen tool <laughs> yeah. icon. Yeah. Well, that's a reason. It's based on an actual fucking art tool. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. And it's funny like that when you bust things like a compass. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. It's made for making circles. Yeah. Oh, that's genius. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, no you shit. know, that's like, you know, like all the circular tools that you have in your computer were based on these ancient tools <laughs> yeah right yeah Re- yeah that disconnection happens quick like that you know like even the crop tool i feel like is how you do the uh cropping an image when you're uh printing photographs uh-huh. how those little bars slide across yeah. and yeah, create like the, the little window yeah. for you uh-huh. it's very much how the crop tool works yeah you know yeah and that's that's what i think that's what trips out young people, I think, when we're like at art night and they see people using the actual old tools for how they were supposed to be used. <laughs> yeah. You know? And they're like like a French curve or something, you know? Yeah, and they're like, yeah. What the fuck? And yeah. they're like, Oh yeah, this is how you draw on a curve if you're not doing it in the computer. Right. And there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And, you know, as someone who does it by hand, I can tell when you do it on the computer because the letters are all crooked. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, if you did it by hand, you would have straightened that shit out. Yeah. It's like kerning. I mean, uh-huh. I see terrible kerning all over the world you where do. letter spacing is just way off. Or like, you know how the T, usually you'd slide it over to hug, like if it's next to an A. Yeah, so it doesn't or have that gap. otherwise there's this huge gap. Yeah. Which can be almost a, like a letter-sized gap that yeah. looks that way. And uh-huh. you're just like... Why the fuck didn't Knucklehead go in there and fix the kerning? I think because a lot of people don't even know that you can or should do that. Yeah. Like you, fix it. You know what I mean? They just think, oh, no, if the computer print or typed it out that way, that's, that's how it's supposed, it's supposed to, be. to be. And you're just like, well, it depends on who designed the font, actually. Uh-huh. That's why I supposed used to... to shift depending on what's next to what letters next to it. I remember being amazed by people who took fonts and then rearranged them and made them into a logo that created their own image from a font that you knew came oh, from a font. That's a good designer. Yeah, yeah. No, those I, little tricky. Yeah. I think uh, my buddy Benny Gold is good at that. He can do these really, really simple things, but they're kind of three things in one the more uh-huh. you look at it. Yeah. And they're the three things that he wants you to think. Right. You know, and you're just like, ooh, that's good, you little motherfucker. Yeah. I made the three associations you wanted me to in just like seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I love that kind of shit. Yeah, and I feel like even taking some of that into <sighs> painting, they're like, I feel oh, like we're yeah. in a range where ever like everyone yeah. who grew up in the nineties, in two thousands, who are been inundated with television and mass media and advertising, we're fight like the fact that everyone's stupid enough to get manipulated by advertising is funny, but I mean we're all hip to it. We all know the gig. We all kind of are well, familiar are we, with it. I feel like a lot of people aren't really hip to it. They're not hip to how much maybe they're people being the, manipulated. Maybe people in the creative community who are the ones who are creating those yeah, things, yeah, you know, who are being the ones, like, the no, creative aspects no, of that. But I know I you're right. That. You're right. That. In terms of the manipulation, the way people, like, 
even back to the thing, like how, what exactly, what what media is? Yeah, intentionally. Do, do you watch te- uh, regular television? No, uh-uh. really ever? Never. Yeah. See, Sometimes I, I, I watch Jeopardy. I haven't had it in my home in long, long time. Yeah, it's Could been be. at least ten years for me. Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I that. just say that because when I'm in a hotel room or something and I put the TV on, it only takes me about fifteen minutes to realize. Man, the majority of the American public is soaking this shit up. Yeah. Just sitting here, just yeah. eating it up. And I immediately am recognizing how much they're trying to manipulate me and be underhanded. Yeah. It's like the first pharmaceutical ad comes on and you're just like, what the fuck? All right, first of all, what the fuck does the thing do? <laughs> right? I'm right. just seeing these ambiguous pictures of some happy guy and his lady. Tossing a football fucking, in the park. Yeah, sitting on a dock <laughs> somewhere at sunset, right? Yeah, yeah. And they just go on and on and on with these side effects. And I still don't know what the fuck it does. <laughs> like what it's supposed to do that's yeah. good. Right. Right, but they'll go all into this. And to me, and it's that undertoned voice that's real fast uh-huh. and... You know, you're really not kind of staying conscious of it. But I know our minds catch it all, mm-hmm. you know, like a sponge. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so manipulative to me and obvious, Yeah, you know, well, and, there's and people distasteful who spend... in that way to me, you know, and that's why I don't consume it, right? I think there's people that spend their whole careers in what would be a semi-creative path learning to manipulate people. Yeah. I mean, we're manipulative as a creature, as it no, is, no. right? No, no, My sister used to be married to a car salesman, and one of the first things he said to me was like, uh, I love selling cars to people. It's like I get to fuck with people all day. Right. And I was just like, whoa, you just blew it with me right off the bat. Homie. Yeah, you're a dick. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. I mean, right. I think a lot more of them nowadays. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's all right, dude. But yeah, it was just one of those things like, damn, there are people that are out there and that's their attitude. And it just was like, man, fuck all that. Right. Because I'm so not that way. Yeah. I'm not trying to fuck with anybody ever. Like, I hate bargaining. <laughs> I hate bargaining. Yeah. It's just like, dude, what's the price? Right. Like, just don't fuck with me. Yeah. You know, and when I'm in places where I have to barter, it just feels so awkward. Oh, There's funny. something to me. Even fucking sales. I'm just like, well, why the fuck is it cheaper today? Yeah. Fuck you guys. Like, what the <laughs> fuck kind of shit is that? Yeah. And yeah. I really have a, a heartfelt love for companies that don't ever put their shit on sale. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just to not, because I think it's not Louis Vuitton is that way. Yeah. The price of the thing is the price of the thing. And yeah. they only sell in their stores. Yeah. And it's that's fucking genius. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and to <laughs> me, some integrity. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I guess that gets back to the art thing where like people who are willing to go make Daffy Duck paintings to make a living like there's see there's one there's no rules but to, for me personally my own set of ethics is that that i would feel like a, a i lost some of my own personal integrity to i think they do yeah that's that's just it you know and it's a pickle because you're trying to get into galleries and you're trying to get attention and for some reason all your friends are and you're not yeah but then there's these opportunities from these people that are just like oh you know how to paint you paint good. Yeah. You paint good enough that people would be interested in seeing it. Throw a fucking Daffy Duck on there for me, man. <laughs> you know? We'll sell it for six. I'll give you 1500 You know? Yeah. What do you say? And yeah. you're like, 
man, you're taking how much? You're taking 4,500 for all my work? Damn, that feels fucked up. But I you're need like, that 1,500. Yo, that 1,500 would get me out the hole, dude. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. No. No, it's just bring it up because it's, it's been on my mind. Like, yeah, that that's a real uh, pickle. And that might make you want to just be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to keep my day job and I'm going to write graffiti. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fuck doing Daffy Duck. Fuck showing the galleries. I don't fucking like these people anyway. Fuck people that are paying six grand for this bullshit. But that purity you know? is rare. That's rare. No, I it's, but it's, that's the thing. It's, uh, it's a thing to think about, you know? It's a... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's always an option. It's a, it's a pickle. Because, again, I don't think it's much different than, like, the kind of freelance jobs that I get other than I, I would hope that I'm getting... Well, no, maybe I'm not. Because there's times when I've gotten jobs, like, corporate jobs from design agencies, and they throw a certain fee at me, like, 15 grand, and I'm like... Hmm, they're probably taking home 45 grand. Oh, and yeah. They're, and they're yeah. probably just going to have to vector the shit that I gave them and add some type to it and throw a Nike swoosh on that shit. And they're good. They're, and it's a Mike Giant thing. Right. Right? Yeah. That's how it's presented, even though they get, the, you know, I don't know how much they get. It depends. Like when I do stuff with Morning Breath, because uh-huh. they're homies. Um, I feel like there was one there was like a job rule package and they might have been getting 10 or 15 grand for it and they just needed some script lettering for the cover and they gave me five grand for it you know and it was just like no it's actually an integral part of the thing we couldn't do it or didn't want to or you're here so do it for you know yeah and it was on the cover, you know. Uh-huh. And again, it was just like, oh, they the took other that 10, fifteen grand out the took, side. Sure, yeah. but I know the work that they do. You know what I mean? So I felt like, right? Oh, okay. They actually had to do some work to to knock that out. But at the same time, it wasn't a ton. Let's throw yeah. Mike a fucking fiver on that one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which I is mean, cool. in all fairness, you don't want to sit at those fucking business table meetings and that's discuss all that yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so and that's be the death. whole thing with like artist management, right? Like that, there that can be valuable for some people. Right. I feel like for stylists, especially, that can be really helpful to have like a, a fancy agency name behind you. Well, even you know, you know like whereas for uh, an independent painter, maybe not so much. It depends like, on the field, I right? Think. And even though we were in some way negative towards right? galleries, like yeah. maybe you connect with a gallery who really wants to support you, and they're able to facilitate, which is happening for me right now in my personal life. Oh, they're right. they're able to facilitate me working and not having to worry about. Oh shit! I need to make a quick extra five hundred to cover bills this month. They'll be like, "Well, here's the check, right?" Like, well, I think that's a uh, something we should probably talk about a little bit. Is like there is that. Like, I feel like Basquiat was able to work that way, where the gallery was just like, "Here's a monthly stipend. This should cover your rent and food." Okay, hopefully not drugs, you asshole. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And, and you just get Pollock, to paint. You right? just paint. You just do your thing. And then you do the show, and hopefully it all sells, and everybody makes out. The gallery gets right. their money back on what they fronted up on you. Right. It's like writers often get like a front. You right. know, like they'll get fronted ten grand, and then when you get it done, we'll give you another fifteen grand. And if you read writers, you know they like yeah. to write about writing. Oh and sure, it's like I, rappers rapping about rapping. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I learned a lot of like insider industry 
through reading these writers who were talking about how they had to deal with this being freelance. The fucking editor. To be a freelance writer is very similar to being a freelance artist. There's yeah. a lot of similarities. And I think, I, yeah. like, especially Thompson, like, yeah. Rum Diaries, I think. I read Rum mm. Diaries at, like, 16. Mm. And that was like, oh, here's how you go do things on your own, on your own accord. All yeah. these little things that are just, like, seeing the availability that you could live the life that you want based on your rules your ethics, as long as you're not a fucking piece of shit, right? Like, because that's going to get smashed quick. Then you could, you could you do should. it. You can yeah. do it. Sometimes yeah. it feels like you can't. I know I've had plenty of times that it, where it's like, this is this is it. That's the end. Like, that's the run. But there's always some... Uh, once you're at, like, a, a low point, some peak comes. It might be a flat plateau for a while, but you hit another peak and get no, back to that feeling. It comes around. It can be tough to hang in there in difficult situations, you mm-hmm. know, especially changing jobs and, um, you know, yeah, it can be really rough. But I think it's good to keep trying. I think people sometimes just get reticent and, you know, I mean, there's been times in my life where I've fallen flat on my face. You know, you know where I'll I'll try something and I want to try something new and it just doesn't fucking work out. Yeah. And then I have yeah. to figure out. You know, like when I left Think Skateboards <coughs> in '97, I moved to London for six months and tried to get work doing record cover stuff and yeah. it just didn't happen. Like I, I learned a lot about how that worked and I was told to start my own label if I really wanted to do record cover stuff. Yeah. And uh, when I came back to the States, uh, I ended up taking a job at an adult bookstore and worked from midnight to 8 a.m. That was the worst fucking job I had. I was there for six months. It was just, it was a rough time. Like, there was, you know, it was like the four years at Think were so fun, and I probably could have just rode that out until this day. Yeah. I think I still have friends that are in the skateboard business that I worked with back then. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. perfectly content, doing their thing, day to day, not much changes, uh-huh. salary hasn't changed much, you know what I mean? Um, but I feel like as soon as I have something kind of mastered, like in the case of the skateboards, it was just like, man, am I just going to sit here and fucking do skateboards my whole life? Like, I, I've been doing this now for four years. Like, yeah. I got it. It's yeah. good. Like, I know how to do it. It's, I'm not going to forget. But fuck, maybe there's something more to do beyond this. Yeah. You know? That was and the same that's feeling. just it. You get out there. But it was it was hard for me to get started after that again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It wasn't until I really started tattooing um i guess that would have been later that same year that that was like got me into a new track yeah and set me off you know but which I was is right around the time we met floating somewhere in there sure sure yeah because yeah, i started tattooing i believe it was in the end of at the end of 98 i tattooed at home for a while uh-huh. and then uh I think it was 99 and 2000 I was tattooing in New York and I was still tattooing at home in the city. Do you remember where you first got tattooed by me? I don't know. I sent you the photo. Like, it, I think it was... Oh, I thought that was everlasting. It might be. So that would have been... But it looks so different now. I think so that was now. 2000 or maybe 2001. 
Yeah, probably 2000. Yeah, it had to be 2000, 2001. Yeah. Because I was at Black Market. That's when I started the time. there. But back yeah. to that thing, like the highs and lows really quick before oh, we yeah. get too far past. Whatever. Like, uh, so yeah, something that you told me a long time ago was like, just do the work, right? Just put in the work. And, I like, still say that. Whatever to happens all the time. is going to happen. Every day, sit at the drawing table. You, you might not have a, a use for it yeah. yet, but something might come up later and you're like, yeah, I got it. And that still rings true to me. I don't know how long ago you fucking said mm. that, but it still rings true to this day. And in those low points, it's like a key sort of quasi mantra of like, Keep going. just do the work. And I want to, I want to do the work. It even can even be. It can even be a, a freeing moment when you don't have any jobs and you're kind of freaked out, but you're like, well, fuck, I got to keep working. And right. then you're like, well, what am I going to do? Boom, there's fine art. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. You got no constraints. Yeah. And what, what comes out of that is do? really important, too, when you're no, able to be in that space. No, that's just it. Yeah. I think that sometimes those are great moments, especially, like I say, for someone like myself who's kind of doing a lot of work, like one job to the next. Yeah. It's those times in between. Like, like I just drew, like, this snake and chain and roses thing and i just drew a snake today that's the kind of shit that i'll draw if i'm just kind of sitting around and don't have anything yeah you know i have to work on right now yeah you know that's kind of how the zines feel that we've been making it's like just sitting down to draw and that's exactly what i did we should talk about those too that's been really fun it's so like i feel like as my entire teenage life i would be at my friend's house and whatever paper that was around i would draw fill it up and just sit around and we would get high and shoot the shit yeah, and i did it, too and it, it was like it didn't have to be great i mean it's funny like because you're a talented fella i'm like all right gotta bring the heat a little bit like yeah. <laughs> well, sure can't, you can't have fast it but at the same time it's still like it, there's no stress to be like it's casual just, whatever comes out comes out and yeah. sometimes that's super freeing when you're especially yeah. if you're in a field where you're like i'm making illustrations every day that need to look like this and need to be yeah. like this because this is what's expected this or even sure. with what you want sometimes just to push paint around or like like even making single dash lines over and over and almost like a repetitive line work like just making marks sometimes it doesn't even have to be anything i do that sometimes where i'll uh yeah, I like work that's, uh, like I did a series where I photographed a friend in different American apparel leggings and had her cross her legs over in really crazy directions uh-huh. and then shot like abstract close-ups and then turned those into flat drawings. So when I was drawing them, say, it might have been little ellipses for days, literally days of yeah. little ellipses and then filling in around you yeah. know, to replicate the photograph, basically. Where um, I'm not really drawing anything. I'm basically turning a photograph into a flat image. <coughs> you know right. what I mean? Which mostly people would do, say, in Photoshop. Right. But there's something about that repetitiveness and that like you can't... It's not figurative per se. It's yeah. just this field. There's of almost an abstraction. Abstraction, to it. and uh-huh. then it's not, and it doesn't come together until the last five minutes, and uh-huh. you're just like, "Oh, there it is." 
Damn, it looks better than I yeah. thought it was gonna look. It's Those trippy, stages like, that you go through. Yeah. Like, at the beginning, you're like, "Why the fuck did I do this?" To oh myself? my god, I'm thirty <laughs> ellipses in, right? And you're like, "Fuck, I'm looking at hundreds here." Yeah. Holy shit. Then you get into that Zen moment where yeah. you're just like grinding and then through, as soon and you're as just it's like, done, boom, you're boom, like boom, 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 boom. I'm ready to do another one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like people. And you, then, it, then, then I'm sick of them. Then I'm like, no, nah, I want to draw a fucking skull. Yeah. I want to go write some graffiti. I want to tattoo somebody. Uh-huh. I, want, I don't want to draw fucking leggings ever again. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like climbing a mountain. You know? Yeah, it's just like interests and in, in like you're saying sometimes. And it's also, I think, an exercise in mental space when you're working, right? Yeah. When you're doing those abstract shapes and things, you kind of, I don't know, I get into a different mental space. It's way more meditative and I That's have to pay attention because if you fuck up when i fuck up with the sharpie like i gotta start over again yeah it's that bad yeah and with those kind of pattern based things it's pretty obvious when you fuck up yeah and, and you it, feel in one circle that's wrong you're like god damn it and it's not hard to have an optical illusion happen where your eyes trip out and hit the wrong line oh, my and, eyes get wonky once yeah. i get tired yeah. yeah 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 that's when you fuck up it's just yeah. like when i skate and i i always fall once i'm tired uh-huh. Or as soon as I fall, I know I'm tired. And I'm yeah. like, all right, I'm done. Because the next time I fall, I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that's the whole jujitsu practice. You're you're oh, grappling with somebody who's bigger than you? You're like, okay. No, it's it's wear somebody out. Make them mm-hmm. tired. When they're tired, they mm-hmm. make a mistake. Mm-hmm. But you might have to protect yourself for a while. You might have to lure them into yeah, I gotta wearing themselves you. out. That'd be fun. I've never done that. It's it's a weird. It could be funny to game. just like be like, all right, I got you. I'm a big dude, and you just like tie my ass up like a fucking rope. Yeah, it's if you don't know the fucking tricks, just be like, oh shit, yeah. man, how the fuck did he go from there to there? And yeah. he's got me around the throat already. God yeah. damn it! I mean, fuck truth that. be told, it, it's an environment. <laughs> I'm, gonna teach. I'm gonna learn this. It's restricted. This motherfucker out. You could probably shit. just like thump me on top of my head and put me to sleep, you know? Like, well, it, that's not it, jujitsu, though. Right? No, I know, that's exactly. That's not street fighting. Right, you're it's not a controlled to teach environment. You to, yeah, yeah, street fighting is, I mean, fuck, that's all I know, really, is street fighting. <laughs> Thump. No, Cartoon straight lump up. on the forehead. Straight up. Yeah. My move was the hand, the left hand on their forehead and just smash him in the face because I had the reach. Yeah. That was the classic maneuver, dude. <laughs> yeah, and if yeah. they tried to get my legs, I just would keep scooting out and push their keep my head on, my uh-huh. hand on their head and just push them into the ground if it came to it you see know? there's there's so much that we intuitively know how to do it's like scramble mode yeah i had to you, learn we can watch nobody taught me yeah. my dad never taught me shit yeah he taught me how to make a fist so i didn't break my thumb yeah but yeah. that was about the extent of it but see just like the, the way you can use your mind to get better at art it, yeah like yeah if, anything if you, if you know how to use your body you can completely manipulate a situation just sure. with saying that. And I, it's funny. I always I make the connection with violence. Like, yeah. So there's some people that can use their mind and they can alter their surroundings. Right. They can manipulate people or or inspire people or get people to work or whatever. Sure. There's some people that don't have those mental capabilities and they use violence to get what they want. Right. And they use fear and intimidation, right. and that's the way they acquire what it is that they want. Yeah. To have both of those things in an environment that's healthy and responsible and, uh, you know, controlled mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. really, a, like, there's it takes the ugliness out of what may be that thing and mm-hmm. puts it into a beautiful environment where, like, 
You might be able to break up a fight. You might be able yeah. to protect somebody who's getting hurt. You know, you might be able to do the right thing when you need to. Huh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's kind of how I was taught. My father has always carried a, a firearm. And the only times I've seen him pull it in public was to get people who are about to fight or already fighting to stop. Yeah. And it worked every fucking time. That, and he was in very, he was in super serious mode. No bullshit. I knew he would have fucking popped those people <laughs> yeah. if they had fucking gotten loose. He's yeah. a, a Vietnam veteran. Right. And I was with him. So he was extra like, oh shit, like this is fucked up that I got to do this in front of my kid. Yeah. God damn it. But he'd do it. Yeah. And that was just it, you know, and that's how I learned about that. And that's kind of the, yeah, using that power, yeah. you know, wisely, you know, and, and in a compassionate manner. That's, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand, you no, know. No, you can't. Especially considering all the gun bullshit that's going around yeah. right now. Yeah. And it is, it's, you know, I don't know. I shouldn't say bullshit. It's just the issue in the public consciousness. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, my gym that I came up in just happened to be right next door to a gun shop. Hmm. And I remember, you know, I'd be sitting out front waiting for my class to start or whatever. And I would look at the people walking into the gun shop, and I would look at the people walking into the MMA gym, yeah. and I would see, I mean, you know, of course I'm biased, but I would see a difference. I would be like, you're afraid. Oh, like, sure. Like, maybe you like sport hunting, whatever, yeah. but I saw a, a group of people who were yeah. afraid of their surroundings, sure. and I saw a group of people who maybe at some point were afraid of their surroundings and right. have taken control of their life in that way. Fear yeah. In that way. Like I broke up a fight out in front of the live wire maybe like mm. a few weeks ago. Good. And I saw it getting ready to happen. Yeah. Bar had closed. I was talking to my buddy out front. I'm like, oh, hey bar had already closed. That's yeah, a bad sign. Now the bar is closed. Two AM. Whoever's drunk enough is gonna roll. Right? And I could see it happening. Yeah. And I have this calmness now where like if right. I saw a fight my adrenaline started pumping I'd be all nervous. I would weird, love to right? calm that down. Right? Yeah. I still get that the way practice, around the fight. Not to say that that doesn't still exist, but it's sure. it's mellowed. It's yeah. it's it's more controllable. Yeah. And I was like, hey, it looks like these guys are gonna fight. I'm gonna walk over there and like break it up. Yeah. Sure. Shit. One guy throws a punch at this dude with his chick. The guy's punch misses. Guy wraps up his neck, pulls guard, which is like falling to your back, and has him in a guillotine choke, which yeah. is a blood choke to the to the brain. Yeah. And. I could see how far his arm was through that he was like, oh, he's got his neck. And it was like the calmest thing. It was like I floated over there. Yeah. And I reached down, and the guy's choking the dude. He's un yeah. I don't know it yet, but the guy is unconscious already. Uh -huh. But I had a good feeling. Yeah. Um, I've seen it plenty of times. And I look at the well, guy. So you probably see it all the time. Right, right? yeah. That's kind of the game. Yeah, it's yeah, like but it's not, a, it's not unnatural. being safe and... Yeah. And I look at the guy who's choking the other fella. Yeah. I tap him on the shoulder like I'm like, excuse me, sir. Yeah. You know? I, he looks me in the eyes like because he's up above the dude's neck and he's looking at me in the face. Yeah. He probably thinks I'm about to punch him at first, you know? Sure. But you got to be cautious in those situations. He saw that I was so calm. I, I, I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, if you train jujitsu, you should probably let go right now. And he looked at me, shook his head and was like, yeah, you're right. Let go of the guy, gets up and walks away with his girlfriend. Yeah. Guy's unconscious, wakes back up, no, yeah. no harm to him, no brain Good. damage, Good. no facial bone damage. You yeah. know. He didn't get Everybody beat up. went home safe, nobody went to jail, 
and I was able to break it up within, you know, I've never had a fight yeah. that easy to break up. Sure. But that calmness was what made it doable. If I was like, hey, you fucking blah, 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 no. freaked out. But I went over there, it was like just a calm conversation, like, you I, should stop. I broke up fights between crackheads that were like glassy-eyed. Yeah. And it was the calmness. And I'd put my hands together in prayer and look them right in the eye and be like, I'm here to help. Yeah. I'm not here to hurt you. Yeah. Can you just stop and talk to me for a second? Yeah. And you, man, more than once that ended in tears and they yeah. put their arms around me, you yeah. know, and they remember my name. That's why I go by OG sometimes because they would call me OG. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And in those moments that was like a real uh, thing of respect. Yeah. You know, the old gray haired guy that broke up the fight. You know, yeah. and it's funny too because they'll they'll spill their guts as soon as you're just like looking them in the eye and talking to them. Yeah, you know. Well, especially that grouping of people like people that are Crackheads. you know demoralized and like just Living considered degenerates, but yeah. they're fucking humans too. And that's the moment that you acknowledge their humanity, yeah, and I I think yeah. that's why I'm always been open with people who or could tell me like the deepest darkest shit of their life and like know that it's not going to be judged because it's like I'm like you're fucking human, yeah, I'm like the same way. I'm not spe more special than yeah. you. I might have a little bit more cash. I might eat better, but yeah. like you're maybe still not. a human. Maybe not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. not. I know. I think I see some panhandlers <laughs> on the corners, and I'm like, "You fools are pulling it way more per hour some, than me." Sometimes but they make a lot of money. I consider that a job. Like, no, I do too. I think that I wouldn't want that fucking job. I wouldn't want it. No, I ain't trying no. to sit outside. But you know what? They're feeding money. a shitload of people every day sure. the feel-good juice. Yeah, yeah. That they're doing something to help somebody who's lower than them. And oh sure. I see it as those people are. Doing maybe even what yeah, would yeah. be a manipulative job, just right. like a used no, car salesman. Not so much, but I, I get you. That my meditation teachers sometimes say that panhandlers should be like these, uh, like uh, uh, markers that there's a, 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 a like an opportunity to practice generosity. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There's an opportunity, not like, oh, God damn it, another homeless person, they're going to yeah. bug me. You know, right, it's like, yeah. oh, I get to practice generosity right uh -huh. now. This person probably needs my help. Right. So we got about 30 seconds left. Right. Let's say bye. That went an hour and a half. Nice. Yeah. Good. Easy. Um, anything you want to say just to take us out? Uh, follow me at Mike Maxwell Art on the Instagrams and my show at BG Galleries in Santa Monica in the spring. Fuck yeah. That's awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.